If you will, go ahead, grab a seat and grab your Bible. If you will, let's turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 is where we'll be camping out here in just a moment. Good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is a long time, welcome. We're just so glad that you're here both in person as well as joining us at home and online. We love you. If there's anything we can do that to serve you, we would be honored to do so. We've got a lot to do, so we're going to dive in into the text. Let's turn our attention to the Word of God. Would you please stand with me this morning as we read from John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. These are the words of the Lord. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. By the the way, just a little pause there. Do you see that number four? That little verse four? Show of hands, how many of you just have that? And how many of you have like a true verse four? How many of you have like the full verse four? Raise your hands. Okay, how many of you don't actually have like a verse four? You're like, where did it go? Who stole my verse four? We're going to talk about that in a moment. One there was there, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now jump down to verse 14. Notice these words. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What a peculiar passage. But there's that question right there in the middle of it. And it's the question I want us to consider this morning. It's simply this. Do you want to get well? This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Father, speak to us through this text. Holy Spirit, go before us. No mere mortal has the ability to touch hearts, but your spirit does it with ease. I pray now that you would meet us where we are, that we may see the beauty of Jesus, find hope in him, and courage for tomorrow. We ask this in Jesus' name and all those who agreed said, amen. You may be seated. This is a weird text, but as I was studying for this week, it made me ask this question. In fact, it's a question that my family asked around the dinner table earlier this week. We're sitting, having a meal, and I don't know if your family's like mine, but sometimes we'll have these moments where you'll just ask a question, kind of to see what's on the heart of those that you love and live with. And so here's the question. The question was, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? Like if money was no object, if time was no object, if travel was no object, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? And it's kind of fun to listen to the different comments from my kids. And, you know, so it's like, well, you know, we'd go to the beach. And it's like, oh, wait, but if money was no object and time was no object, where we, we'd go to Paris or we'd go to Scotland. And I'd go find Scrooge McDuck and I'd swim in his money pit or whatever that is, right? Or I'd go here and then my son goes, man, I'd go to Mario World or Nintendo World. It's like, all right, that's where you'd go. So here's a quick question. If you could go anywhere, where would you go? So take 10 seconds. I'm going to let you, this is all swim for a moment. Go ahead, take 10 seconds, tell someone around you, get to know them, tell them. If you could go anywhere, where would you go? Quick, 10 seconds. 
All right. So let's call it out. Someone help me out here. If you could go anywhere, where would you go? What do you got? The Bahamas. Scotland. I like that. Someone else. Paris. Where'd you say? Greece. I like that. You know, summer day. Oh, wait, no, no, different Greece. Okay. Now, my buddy here who's a new dad and, or is a dad with little kids, rather, he goes, I would go back to sleep. Anyone else back to sleep? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. For some of us, we'd go to different places, but isn't it true that for some of us, it's not that we'd go somewhere, but we'd go somewhen? Like, aren't there those moments that if you could go back in time to when you were a little kid, to that one special place, maybe it was sitting on your grandma's lap while she gave you a little back rub, or maybe it was fishing with your dad. Or maybe it's that beautiful, perfect moment where that conversation with you and a friend and you felt like you became not two friends, but one person. And then there are others in here. Isn't it true that if we could, we'd go back, maybe not to a precious moment, but we'd go back to the moment before a painful moment. And we'd say, if I could only do this differently, like if I could just do this and not that, if I could say this and not say that, I would do it in a heartbeat. And I think if you're like me, there are moments in life That because of what happened, we end up living in the moment and we don't continue to live life. And so we come to a text here with a man who is stuck in a moment and in a place. And if you were to say, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? His answer would be, but I can't. And so in this moment, when all we say is can't, there is one who says, yes, through me, you can. His name is Jesus. And so we, we see this moment. I want to give you the setting because it's real important to get the details. So the third sign here, there are a few details I want you to see. First is that it's in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate. Now, Jerusalem was the hub of Jewish activity. It was the religious Mecca. It was the buckle of the Bible belt, if you will. Jesus' first two miracles, he, John calls them signs because the miracles are not about the miracles. They are a sign pointing to something else. They were not the point. They pointed to the point. And the first two signs were up in northern Israel in Galilee. But now Jesus... In his third sign that John lists happens in the hub of the religious world in Jerusalem. And it happens near the Sheep Gate. Now, let me give you a little geography so you can get the sense here. If this is Jerusalem, there was a large wall around it. And in the northern part, right next to the temple was the Sheep Gate. By the way, quick question. What do you think was brought through the Sheep Gate, church? Not camels, Keith. Thank you very much. Yes, sheep, right? In fact, there was only one other place in the Bible where the sheep gate is mentioned. It's in Nehemiah when they are rebuilding the wall originally after coming back from exile. But this was the place where the smart people tell us that they would have been bringing the sheep in from the pastures in the fields down into the city to the temple to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. This was that gate. In fact, Smart people also tell us that the gate Jesus entered into Jerusalem through on Palm Sunday was most likely this gate, the Sheep Gate. And then on Good Friday, when he carried his cross out of the city to die for you and me on Calvary, he most likely exited through the Sheep Gate. Why? Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. Amen. And so he comes on to the scene right there near the Sheep Gate. And we're told that there is next to it this pool called the Pool of Bethesda. Everyone say Bethesda. Very good. That word, by the way, means house of mercy. In fact, if you look at this word, now go back one real fast here. So if you look at the word, anytime you say B-E-T-H, bet is the way you say it in Hebrew. We say Beth, but bet, that means house. So 
Bethlehem. Bethlehem, are you familiar with that word? That is the house, Lehem, of bread. It is the bread basket, basically. Jesus, the bread of life, was born in the bread basket. Isn't that interesting? And here, he comes to a pool called Bethesda, which means house of mercy. Now, we're told that it was a five-porched uh, pool. That it was a pool, but with five porches. So here's a way to kind of visualize it. If this was the pool, if my Bible represents the pool, how many sides does my Bible have, church? Yeah, just four sides. There's top, bottom, and two sides. Well, where's the fifth colonnade? Well, it's actually down the spine. And so what it would be is you'd have these four plus the one. So it was really two pools, not one. And it was a place right there next to the sheep gate because you'd have to wash the sheep before they could be sacrificed. They had to be clean in every way. But by the time Jesus rolls onto the scene, it's not used primarily for sheep, but it's a place where the sick, the lame, the wounded rest. We saw the place that is mentioned here last August is a picture of the pool of Bethesda. It's a real place, by the way, for centuries, skeptics, people who did not believe the Bible was accurate or real said, well, there is no place called the pool of Bethesda. We haven't found it, so it must not be true. Until the 19th century, when we actually discovered this two-pooled place right there, right location, it's almost like the Bible is true or something. And so we found it, and right next to it is a beautiful church called St. Anne's Church right here. Next slide. It's a beautiful church, has great acoustics, groups that go there, ours as well. We went in and you sing there because, man, it can make someone whose voice sounds like mine sound almost as good as like Pavarotti's. Not really, but you think you can. And so you go in there and sing, the acoustics are great. But this place, this house of mercy was not a house of mercy by the time Jesus got there. It was a house of misery because there were the lame, the sick, the blind. And there was one man who was there for 38 years. Now, the question is, why in the world would people gather around this pool? And it goes back to that little verse 4. You remember little verse 4 that isn't in our Bibles? You go, wait, where did verse 4 go? It's like, where's Waldo? You look, but you can't find it. Some earlier Bibles, like King James Bible, include verse 4, which explains what's going on there. And it tells of this, this superstition that people held that there was this belief that God would send an angel periodically to stir up the water and whoever could get into the water first would be healed. Now, in later translations of the Bible, we actually had older manuscripts that we got to work from that did not include verse 4. So now in many of your Bibles, it'll just be listed as a footnote. But it's a good explanation to what was going on there. So there's this belief that God was the one sending an angel. And it's an interesting belief because it's this idea, and it's a very twisted idea, but it's this idea that God is a God who will send someone an angel. And if you are good enough, if you are fast enough, then you can get well. Friends, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible does not say you work your way to me for healing. The God of the Bible says you can't, so I will come to you and give you healing. That's what we see in this story. And it turns out, by the way, just so you know, there's actually, we've discovered underwater or underground waterways that fed from the surrounding mountains. So when there was rain, they'd come down through this underwater waterway that fed the pool. And so when the water would come, it pushed the water up in the pool and it kind of bubble up. And that's actually what was happening. So you have a man who was there for 38 years. Quick question. What were you doing 38 years ago? Come on, I did the math. That's 1985. Half of our staff wasn't even alive 38 years ago. Some of you are going, man, I don't remember what I did last week, let alone 38 years ago. I can tell you where I was 38 years ago on a Sunday. I was in Miss Nancy Bassett's three-year-old Bible class. That's where I was. We're talking the Reagan administration. The Berlin Wall was up. There was a Cold War. And wait, Russia's at war getting raped. Okay, anyway. 
38 years, it's a lifetime ago, isn't it? And so this man who has lost all hope and is stuck, literally stuck, can't move, is in need of a miracle. And he's not going to find it by bubbling water, but he will find it from the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so in this moment, Jesus shows up, he finds this man, and he asks a strange question. And it's a weird one. What is that question? It's this question. Do you want to get well? Is this a weird question to anyone else, by the way? I mean, it's kind of an odd question to ask a guy who's at a pool that supposedly if you get in first, you get well. So, so why would Jesus ask this question? Now, it's not to be cruel. It's not to be unkind. Jesus, as God, knows the right thing to say in all circumstances. So Jesus' question reveals something to all of us if we're honest with ourselves, right? Isn't it true, and this, I don't mean this harsh, but isn't it true that there are some times that some people don't really want to get well? Otherwise, Jesus would have assumed it because, hey, everyone wants to get well. So why would he be there if he did not want to get well? Well, there's all sorts of reasons. For instance, he might have wanted to be there, as many do, in situations like this. By the way, is it also true that you can come to church, the house of mercy, and yet not want to get well? Yeah, absolutely. Is it possible to come to church week after week after week, but have no interest in changing or growing or becoming whole? Absolutely. And there's all sorts of reasons. For instance, some people, it may be they just want to have company. They feel lonely and they're alone and they want to be with other people. Don't want to be well, but they don't want to be alone, so they want company. For other people, they're looking for sympathy. So they go there, they know that this is where you go and people pass by. They will see your state and they will feel bad for you. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And this is like the friend who calls you time after time after time, talking about how bad life is, how hard things are. And you try to help them, but they just don't get over it and they just keep coming back. They just want sympathy. And then there's a third group who may be there because they want charity. Charity where big-hearted people open their wallets and give big gifts so that way you can survive. And so maybe it's company, maybe it's sympathy, maybe it's charity. But here's what I want you to see, and this is from God's word, that want to precedes how to. That want to precedes how to. Do you want to get well? Because want to precedes the how to. Jesus is going to give the how to in a moment. And this is good news. But he begins with the want to, and it is a gut check for Josh. Maybe for you as well this morning. Do I genuinely want to get well? Is there any area in my life that I'm holding on to? Because even though it's making me sick, it's what I'm used to. It's what I know. Do you want to get well? See, here's the interesting thing. When I started ministry almost 20 years ago, I assumed, wrongly so, but I assumed anyone who comes and says, hey, Josh, we'd like to come and talk to you. We need some advice. I thought they really wanted to come and get advice. I was wrong. So you have like this young couple come in, they're having marriage problems. And so it's one of those things where the problem is so obvious that like, you don't have to be very smart because I'm not very smart, but I can even say, oh, well, husband, you do this and wife, you do that and everything's going to be well. And so you're like, if you do this and you do that, then you're going to have a great marriage. Everything's going to be good. So are you going to do this? No. Are you going to do this? No. It's like, why? We don't want to. I'm mad at him. I'm mad at her. I don't want to. Isn't it true that no amount of how-tos can fix an I don't want to? I mean, think about this. I love what one guy said. He said, look, if more knowledge is all we needed for a great life, every one of us would already be millionaires with six-pack abs because we already know what we should do, don't we? It's often not a matter of do I know. It's a matter of do I want. And so he asks the question, do you want to get well? Let me give you another example. So imagine in our church, 
a young lady who's just absolutely perfectly fit for this life as a ballerina. I mean, she is just fit as a fiddle. She's got all the moves. She's done it for years. And she comes up to me. She says, Josh, I love ballet. And I think it bless your life so much. And I want to teach you how to be a ballerina. She goes, I want to teach you. And so here's how you do it. I've, I've got the shoes for you. You just take those hairy little feet and shove them inside. It's great. And, and then you do these stretches. I'm like, what's a stretch? She goes, well, you drop something, then just pick it up a bunch of times. That's like how you do a stretch. Okay, I can do that. And then she's like, and here's the thing. I'll show you how to like do twirls and other ballerina things. And then I've got you a tutu just for you, you, and it's going to be great. It doesn't matter how much she says, this is how to do it. I don't want to be a ballerina. It's like, what would you just pray about it? No, no, I will not. We don't need to bring God into this decision. He's already told me, you will never be a ballerina. You were not designed to look at this frame. This is not a ballerina's frame. This is a couch potato frame, not a ballerina frame. In other words, want to precedes how to. Knowing to do something but wanting to are radically different things. And so this is why I think many of us are stuck. Jesus starts with, do you want to get well? And then this man gives a weird response, doesn't he? And I got to be honest, this is one of those great responses. Because it's not the response I expect. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us, we don't want to get well. or We're not sure we want to get well because, well, put this up. Getting well brings responsibility, doesn't it? Like if I do get well, then I can't just sit here anymore. Like if God gives me the ability to take a step, then I might actually need to take a step. And for some of us, or maybe not you, I'll just speak for me. It is easier to stay where I am sometimes than to take my next step. And so Jesus says, do you want to get well, Joshua? Friend, do you want to get well this morning? So he asks this man and the man gives the most human answer. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I want to get well or no, Lord, I don't want to get well. He gives the most human answer when he says these words. He says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. What's he saying? There's no one here. My family, my friends, my relatives, no one loves me. No one's here to help me. And other people are against me. They get in front of me. They push me out of the way. I am stuck. Now, by the way, let's just talk about that responsibility. 38 years, you've never known anything but this. By the way, let's just talk history. So in the ancient world, if a child was born disabled, the parents would not teach that child the family trade. They wouldn't teach him to be a carpenter, a winemaker, a textile worker, none of those things. Why? The kid's not going to be able to do it. So they would then teach the next child the family trade, but not the disabled child. Why? They knew the occupation that the disabled child would have for the rest of his life. What occupation do you think that is? Beggar. By the way, in some parts of the world, even to this day, very evil people will maim or cripple a child because they know the child will be able to get more money when they beg for this person. And so you're a beggar. 38 years, you don't know what it's like to work hard for a living in the sense that you have to get up and walk around. Responsibility. So he says, other people are against me. So what is he saying here? He does what Josh does. Maybe you do this sometimes. Instead of saying, I want to get better, I instead, I blame it's other people's fault, Jesus. I just can't do it. It's because of my circumstances, because of my upbringing, it's because of where I was born, it's because of who I was raised by, it's because of my parents, it's because of my spouse, it's because of my children, it's because of my health. I can't do it. I love what one preacher said years ago. He said, you want to know how you spell blame? You spell it B-lame. 
That's it. Why? Because when you blame, it paralyzes us for life, doesn't it? When it's your fault and I can't do anything, I'm stuck forever. But don't you love, don't you, listen, listen, don't you love how Jesus isn't concerned with our excuses? They don't keep him from miracles. God is not limited by you or by me. Is that good news to anyone else this morning? Jesus doesn't say, oh, that sounds so hard. Let's talk about it. What does Jesus do? Next verse, it says this. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. He doesn't say, let's rehash the past. He doesn't say, oh, poor thing. He doesn't say it's everyone else's fault. He says, look at me. Let's get up. Let's walk. If you could go anywhere, where would you go today? Because Jesus is inviting us to get up and walk. You say, yes, but I can't. Yes, but I don't have the ability to. Friends, do you understand what happens immediately after that statement? It continues with at once. Go back one. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Pay attention to this. When God, next slide, when God commands us, he will empower us to do it. You will never be asked by your daddy God to do something that he will not then empower you to do. If you are stuck in a moment in your life, in a past decision or a past hurt or a past pain, and he says, enough, get up, let's leave that place. He will empower you to do it if you want to get well. See, see for Josh, a lot of times, maybe for you as well, he says, I'll give you what you need. Grace for the day, help for the moment. Do you want to get well? But Jesus, you don't know what I've been through. He's like, that's not what I'd asked you. Do you want to get well? But Jesus, my wife, that's not what I asked you. Do you want to get well? But Jesus, my husband, but I didn't ask you, do you want to get well? The question is, do you want to get well? Because if you do, he will empower you to do what he's commanded you to do. This is good news. There's responsibility, but this is good news for those in here who are tired of being stuck. The invitation is you can leave today and that does not have to be the end of your story. Brothers, you do not have to be stuck anymore. Sisters, do not stay where you are. You do not have to be stuck. So some of us here today, he says to you, forgive your spouse. You say, yeah, but you don't know what he's done. And Jesus says, I didn't ask you what he did. Do what I'm saying and I will help you. Can you imagine that moment right there? From the moment of the command, until the man stands up, what must he have felt in that moment? Can you imagine the moment he's laying there? Did he, do you imagine he all of a sudden noticed that like the musculature on his legs started growing? Maybe, maybe he got a little more strength. He's like, wait, what, what's that? He could feel his toes move. Or is it possible he didn't feel any different, but he still pushed himself up because Jesus said, do what I'm saying. I will empower you in the moment. Some of us are waiting for Jesus to show us the way through when he's just inviting us to take the next step. Forgive For others of us, he's saying, let go of that addiction to a device, to a person, to a substance. And and we're saying, I don't know if I can, I'm scared. Or someone else, well, he goes, that's not what I asked. You can do it. Do you want to get well? I will empower you. And then for others in here, he's saying, just tell the truth. But Jesus, I'm scared. And he says, do you want to live in fear or do you want to get well? The invitation to wellness 
is to all people in this house of mercy where Jesus is today. Friend, he invites each of us. Do you want to get well? There is a place of healing, an invitation for everyone in this room. And then there's this final little moment where Jesus says to this man in verse 14, after this strange little encounter, he's been healed and we didn't have time to go through it. But there's this whole encounter with the religious leaders who are upset that this man was healed on the Sabbath. But Jesus meets up with this man in verse 14 and he makes a strange statement. He says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That's a weird statement you'd expect in this moment. Jesus was like the high-fiving or fist-bumping or attaboying. But instead he makes this weird statement that seems kind of harsh, but again, Jesus knows the right things to say always. He says, stop sinning because here's what I need you to understand. It's one thing to be able to stand up and walk. It's another thing to actually leave this house of misery. How many of us, God has empowered us to take us, take the next step, but we stay where we are. See friend, sin is not simply doing the wrong thing. It's not stepping into the right thing that God invites us to. He says, I don't want you to stay here. How sad would it be? 38 years, stuck in one spot, able to move. And what do you do? You put your mat back down and lay down for another 38 years. He says, don't do that. I am calling you to take a next step. This means that healing is the first step, but it is not the last step. He says, you follow me. Let's take a next step. Do you want to get well? I will empower you. Do you want to get well? We're gonna sing a song here in a moment. I'm gonna invite the team back up here. And as they come, I want to invite you to just consider for a moment two questions. First question, is there any place that you feel stuck this morning? Evaluate these relationships that God has put around you with maybe a friend or a spouse, children or your parents, a member of the church that sits in the same room with you every Sunday, but you are miles apart relationally. Is there anywhere that you just feel stuck relationally? Is there anywhere that you feel stuck when it comes to addiction or a pervasive sin, something that you wish you could just let go of and you go, oh no, I can't. Is there anywhere in your life, maybe it's just the behaviors, the patterns, the thoughts that you constantly seem to have, the wayward eyes. Or maybe this morning you'd say, it's just this sense that I don't know what to do. Or maybe today you say I'm stuck because I have yet to say yes to Jesus and put him on in baptism. Is there anywhere that you're stuck? And then the next question, and it's an invitation. It's not a condemnation question, friend. Do you want to get well? Because our savior has come. He's in this place and he's inviting you today to come to meet him where you are. Don't worry about fixing yourself. You can't. That's why he is here. Do you want to get well? Then come. But Jesus, I can't just come, child. As you sing this next song, I'll be in the lobby as will some other prayer leaders. If we can pray for you or help you consider what that next step may be or how to simply welcome Jesus, we invite you to come. Do you want to get well?